Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast, but this is the first edition of what we're calling the Baseball America Prospect Handbook podcast. Now, we're going to do it all year round. It's not just something we're going to do during handbook season. But we, we did want to, this is going to be a podcast that we emphasize talking about prospects, we can talk a little bit about majors, we're going to talk a little bit about you know fantasy, so it's going to be really oriented towards kind of the prospect pro side uh, of what we do. And we, we, we're glad for the download, thanks for the download, and we also thank you to our sponsor, we wanted to say thank you to DraftDay.com. DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play and set a fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well, that day you win. You can play for free or real money, and they award cold hard cash nightly to the top performing players. They've already awarded over $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com also has new rapid-fire game that takes one minute to play with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. DraftDay is offering a special offer to Baseball America listeners, so be sure to head to DraftDay.com and enter promo code RADIO. And they'll start you off with a free rapid-fire game. It's free to try, so head to DraftDay.com and use promo code RADIO. Again, thank you to DraftDay.com. I'm J.J. Cooper, joined today by Ben Badler. And we're going to talk, as we said, we're going to talk prospects. And as we start this, this first prospect handbook podcast, the team that really jumped out to us to talk about is, is if you think Minnesota Twins at the big league level, you, if you're a Twins fan, you might be pretty happy with uh, you know close to 500 record during the first month of the season, but the reality is is you're probably not expecting a whole lot of the team. At the minor league level, it's hard to think of a team, an organization, that had a better April than the Twins did. Fort Myers, their uh, high A club, had the best record in, in the minors, 21-4, and four, and they did it with prospects. Cedar Rapids had the second best record in the minors, their low A club, and they did it with prospects. Ben, you look at this Twins organization, you look at what Miguel Sano, you look at what Byron Buxton, you look at what Really, you know, Eddie Rosario, Alex Meyer. You look at what they've done in the first month of the season. It, it's it's been a pretty good month to be a, a twin farmhand, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you, you got the top two prospects in Sano and Buxton. Um, I think we've had them both around the top ten prospects in baseball coming into the year. You know, just with the guys who are going to graduate next year between, you know, presumably Profar and Tavares, Will Myers at some point uh, is going to come up, believe it or not. Uh, you know, by the end of the year, we could be talking about Sano and, and Buxton as top five prospects in all of baseball. I mean, you, we'll get at the the leaders in the minor leagues and OPS. Yeah, Sano is fourth. Buxton is fifth. 
And and then just beyond them, even you got guys like Eddie Rosario who's having a big year, Alex Meyer. I don't think you know he's still got to improve his control, but I don't think he's too far away from uh, putting it all together and, and pitching in Minnesota pretty soon as high a ceiling in, in that system as anybody in terms of the pitching prospects. Uh, there's just a ton of guys, even like Adam Brett Walker, who's in, uh, you know, in their low A club right now. Uh, you know, I don't think he was a huge prospect coming into the year. He, you know, he was a high draft pick, but uh, I, I think he's been even better than than advertised. He's taken some steps forward with his ability to make contact since last year. So there's definitely a lot of good signs going on for him early on in the season. And the thing that impresses me the most in Buxton and Sano are, as you said, they're both among the the minor league leaders in OPS, but. They're also they're both among the minor league leaders in OPS, and they're doing it as you know as young players for the level that they're at. Uh, this is obviously Buxton's first full season. For Sano, this is his second full season. Nine home runs in April. That sounds good. I mean, that's you know puts him up there in the in minor league home run leaders as well. The reality of it is though, he's doing the Florida State League. No one hits home runs in the Florida State League. The parks are really big. The ball doesn't carry. The best way to put it, I wrote this uh, yesterday up at BaseballAmerica.com. The Florida State League you know, all-time leader is, uh, I believe, 31 home runs, set in 1971. Every other full-season league in the minors, at least 40 home runs for the uh, single-season home run record. Again, guys just don't hit. There's been years not that long ago where 18 home runs have been the uh, Florida State League leader. At the rate Snow's going, he'll have that before, uh, before June rolls around. It, his power we've always known about. He's also been more selective this year. He's doing a better job of, of laying off pitches off the plate. Defensively, they've moved him back a little bit, uh, which you know, it doesn't seem like that would make a big difference, but it does seem like it's making a difference for him at third base because before he was often getting caught kind of in between on in-between hops. Now he's got the arm that if he lets that ball kind of take another hop or two to where it's a little easier to field, cuts down on the errors, he's got plenty of arm more than enough arm to still throw a lot, you know, most guys out. So he, he's really taken step forward, steps forward this year. But compare that, I, I think to see what Buxton has done in the, the first month of the season is, is even more impressive to me. I don't know about you, but to see a guy that young with that many tools to show, to coming out of a, a small school in Georgia, small high school in Georgia, you know, small school baseball in Georgia, this was not a, a kid coming out of Atlanta, you know, who's, playing 5A baseball in Atlanta, where that's a, a pretty top level of, of high school con, you know, of uh, competition, to see what Buxton's done in his first full season, to see it, the advanced approach he's shown, the ability to lay off pitches, because right now he's not seeing a whole lot of fastballs, but still be able to do something when he does get a pitch to hit. It, it's it's really kind of blown me away. I, I don't know what you think, Ben. Yeah, and to me, the, the most impressive start, and I think to me the better prospect right now is Buxton. It's a guy who's got an extremely advanced approach at the plate, a ton of bat speed, good swing, uh, and then and then you couple that with a guy who's going to play premium defense in center field, not just with his speed but with his arm too. Uh, pretty much everything you – I mean, this is a, five, a true five-tool guy. I think the power is – you know, four home runs in, in the first month in the Midwest League in April is, is pretty good. Um, and you, you, when you look at the size that he has, he's like 6'2", the bat speed that he has. I think eventually, you know, as his hitting which approach continues to evolve and, and mature, I think you're going to see power come out even more with him just as he naturally gets older and, and stronger because the bat speed is there, the size is there. 
uh, you know, the eye for, for getting his pitch to hit is, is there too. Uh, you're, you're talking about a guy who's going to play premium defense for you at a premium position. And, oh, by the way, he's, he's got a 500 on base percentage. Yeah, that's not always going to be that good. But, uh, you know, a guy who could get on base at a 400 clip for you potentially and, and hit for power too uh, at, a, at a premium middle of dime position. It, to me, I, I would take Buxton over Sano right now. That's a very interesting debate because, to me, I hear what you're saying. I would argue Sano simply for the reason that, that Sano's power is right now one of the toughest things to find, it, it, it seems like. I mean, it's obviously not the same power game that it was just a couple of years ago. I'd love to have either of them. I, I think it's it's one and one A either way you look at it. But I do think with Sano, I know there's a lot of questions from guys saying, you know, is this guy going to be a third baseman? And I, I do think long-term he probably ends up at, at first base, which uh, every uh, pro scout I've talked to about that does always usually throw in the qualifier that that would also almost so seem almost criminal considering how strong his arm is. But you're talking about a guy who could be a future home run champ and I think hit well enough. You know, John Manuel and I were talking about this in the office. He's a guy that his power is so good, if he's a 45 hitter, he's going to be an extremely valuable player in the big leagues. I'd rather have, I'd, I'd love to have both of them. And that's, that's the good news the Twins have is that picking which one is better right now is an extremely tough call to make. But if you're the Twins, these two guys are the cornerstone that you're, you're counting on for, for years to come. And really, again, the, the, the first month, though, that Buxton had, you said it. I mean, it's just it's more than I think than either either of us expected because I personally expected him to have like a little bit of a struggle at the start and then as the season went along he would not just catch up to the league but surpass it instead he's shown up and he's ahead of the league from day one. Oh yeah I mean he's he's hitting better in the Midwest League than he did in the Gulf Coast League last year the uh like you said with Sano probably the best raw power of anybody in the minor leagues I love his bat speed love the arm like you said I think he could stay at third base, uh, but he's he's going to have to put some work into it. That is a, a concern. The the one worry with me that I have with him is there's it seems almost seems like there's a little bit of Brandon Wood in him. Just this the strikeout is <laughs> the strikeouts with him are, are a little higher than I'd like to see. I, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who comes out and you know, hits 320 or something like that. That's not going to be his game. I don't think anyone thinks that that's going to be part of who he is, but um, the, the strikeouts are, are just a little bit higher than than I'd like to see to the point where it's, I mean, he, he does everything else offensively so well in terms of his bat speed, his power, and and then defensively with that arm that he has at third base. He, he's, he's, he's an athlete. He's really athletic for a guy who's, was that big and, and that kind of size, but the one concern I do have is, is those strikeouts are, are a little higher than I'd like to see for a guy who we, we consider a, a premium prospect, which which he is. He, he's definitely one of the top prospects in the game, but for me, that's just another reason why why I like Buxton so much is that you know that pure bat-to-ball ability is there, and it's I, I think it's going to be more advanced than than Sano's going up the as he as they face more advanced competition, especially. I hear you. It's an interesting debate. I've heard. I've actually been talking to scouts about this, and I've heard both arguments made in the past week. I, I had a, a scout say, "You know, I think that sometimes we." To me, he said, "If you give me a guy, if you give me a group of 40 hitters with 60 power, 
and another group of 60 hitters with 40 power. He says, my belief that the, the guys who are 60 hitters with 40 power are going to hit more home runs in the big leagues because their natural hitting ability is going to allow them to run into more balls than the guy, you know, than the, the slugger who, who doesn't have the hitting ability. Had another scout say, you know, to me, he said, I, I feel like a lot of times nowadays we don't give the, the really the massive raw power guy enough time to develop. We, you know, we look at the strikeouts and he said, yeah, most of these guys are going to strike out a lot when they're in, in A ball because they're going to be vulnerable to breaking balls, things like that. What you're looking for is, is the guy who, who makes that adjustment, who can, you know, as he goes up, can make more contact and, and let that power come into to play. Uh, Michael Morse's example he gave of a, of a guy who, who did you know, kind of make that transition uh, to being a, from being a, just a power guy to a guy who could make enough contact that his power could come to play in the big league level after at one point looking like a guy who's going to be a, a, you know, pretty much a lost cause at the plate. I, I've heard both sides, and I don't even know where to come, come down on that because I hear what you're saying, and it is going to be something that we have to watch with Snow. At the same time, you know, it, it's something where, uh, again, in the game as it is right now, it, it may keep him from being in that, you know, that that truly elite level. I, I would say I think Buxton, because he has a, a more well-rounded skill set, has a chance to be, uh, you know, probably a better chance to be a, a more well-rounded player. But if I get, you know, there aren't many guys out there who can hit 35, potentially hit 35 home runs in the big leagues now, and, and Sano's one of the few few guys in the minors who you look at and say, okay, well, he, he maybe could, you know, and those, it, it's, again, it's two guys who, it, it's two guys who have very impressive, uh, uh, you know, tool sets, and the, the first month of the season has just been incredible. It, kind of along those lines, Ben, has anyone, who's jumped out to you? Who's, who stood out to you in the first, uh, you know, month of the season, of a guy who's really, as a prospect, who's, who's jumped out because he's had a great start, or a guy who maybe you think you you know hey I, I think that guy may be a little bit better than maybe I thought he was when the season started oh you know a couple guys the first is Archie Bradley uh, you know always really liked Archie Bradley I and mean, we had him as a top 30 prospect in baseball coming to the year but he the, the the way that he's dominated Cal League hitters so far and he's not going to do it anymore because he's already been promoted to double a but, but um, his stuff is <laughs> I, I mean he's got a a plus plus fastball. It's, it's an absolute knockout breaking pitch that he has. If he just brings along that change up a little bit more, which, you know, it's already a, a solid pitch for him. I don't think he's going to really need to use it that much because of the fastball and the curveball that he has, you know, once his, or I shouldn't say once, but as, if his control and his command continues to develop, you know, I, I feel comfortable projecting him as a number two starter. I, he might even be better than that. Uh, he just has so many things that, that you like in a pitcher uh, stuff-wise. And then the control last year, it seems like it's taken some steps forward this year. The other guy for me is Rafael De Paula. Uh, <laughs> probably just because I've been hearing about him since before he was signed uh, back in 2009. before he was signed. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny how many things uh, internationally have changed since 2009 when DePaulo really first came out as a, a prospect. But, I mean, this guy, I mean, he's striking out almost, I think, 40% or almost half the guys he's facing. It's His stuff across the board is, is outstanding. He's, he's pretty much come as advertised. Uh, <laughs> you know, is he, you know, he's, pretty, he's basically a man facing boys in low A. 
So they got to move him up before he really gets his, his first test. But uh, uh, this is a guy who, who should be able to move quickly. Yeah, he, he doesn't have much experience facing pro hitters, but you just look at the the stuff that he has and the way he's able to get hitters out with his, his stuff and, and his feel for pitching, which I don't want to say if it's beyond his years. It's, it's certainly beyond his years of experience. Um, I don't want to say it's beyond his age, but... Uh, but we don't still know he, what his age is, for one thing. Right, so we, we just... <laughs> but but just, you know, throw that out for, for a minute. This stuff is so good that it's going to project at the big league level. Uh, I just want to see what he can do against more advanced hitters, but he's certainly been a guy who's who's stood out this year. No, I agree with you on DePaula. I watched on MILB TV uh, one of his starts he had recently, and the stuff was just filthy. Uh, you know, fastball secondary stuff was really I thought even maybe better than the fastball which uh, you know it's <laughs> that he was definitely overmatching uh, low A hitters and I, he's not been on, you know on every start yet which not that surprising considering how young he is but the thing that just jumped out is, is I think you've written a couple times this guy's not going to be in low A all year he's going to not be surprised at all if he's a double A at some point this year and you know if, if he does it doesn't look like his stuff would be out of place in double A right now to be honest with you again on the starts that he's on he's not always on right now but he's also pretty raw considering how li- how limited his pro experience is right now bradley to already have surpassed and survived the test of uh, the cal league is is a big big step forward for him because that's something that has swallowed up in uh, many a pitcher before him it's worth remembering for you know for our listeners coming into the draft a couple years ago Bundy was Dylan Bundy was considered the better high school pitching prospect coming out of that uh, that class, but it wasn't uh, a pretty dramatic difference between him and Bradley. Now with the uh, the injury problems that Bundy's having this year, Bradley's kind of getting a chance to do some some catching up, and he's doing a good job of of doing some catching up, you know, considering how quickly he moved through the Cali. Um, a guy, a couple guys who jumped out to me uh, in the early going. I got to see Francisco Lindor, who's playing not far down the road here in Zebulon, and there's a lot to like there. I mean, I, more importantly than me seeing him, talking to scouts about him, it's hard to talk to a scout who's seen him who, who's not, you know, really impressed. It's not like that he wasn't a, a top prospect coming into the season because he was, but when you see the defense combined with a really comfortable swing from both sides of the plate, more power than maybe you, you may think, it, it's just a, a, a pretty amazing package all around for a shortstop. I, I'm it's a really good time for shortstops in the minors right now, obviously starting with Jerks and Profar. But Profar is a better prospect than Lindor, but to me, it's not. he's not at a dramatically different level than Lindor. He's a better prospect, but Lindor deserves to be kind of in that. He's not in a separate conversation. They're in a similar conversation because they're two outstanding shortstop prospects. Another guy. Yeah, I think you've got Profar. It's pretty clear that Profar. I think probably we both agree Profar would be the the head of the class. But then you've got you mentioned Lindor. I mean, who would you take between Lindor? You got Carlos Correa, who's you know done some things well, but kind of off to a bit of a slow start this year. You got Javier Baez. Uh, you've got Xander Bogarts. You know, of, of those guys, you know, Profar aside, who would be would be would Lindor be the guy for you of that group? If you're talking short stuff, yes. Uh, I, I think if you're talking, if we're talking fantasy, I would say no, because I, I do think that that you look at Baez, you look at Bogarts. But Correa, 
the reason I'd say Lindor right now is, is that Lindor just is further up. I think Correa is a again has a higher ceiling than Lindor because if it all comes together for Correa, you're talking <laughs> you're, you're talking one of those shortstops like what we talked about in the late '90s. I mean, you're talking power, speed, average. You're talking it all. Uh, I don't no, think like a Machado. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you really are. That's what you're talking about with Lindor. It's more of that he's going to be uh, a very good shortstop who hits for average, who hits for some power, who's very good defensively. It's, he doesn't have the power to be on that same level as Correa. That being said, I feel more comfortable at this point projecting that, that he's going to hit for average and all. Because, I mean, he's done it for partly because he's just done it longer. He's entering year two in full season ball. And in year one, he was really good in the Midwest League. Correa's further behind. Correa's one month into basically his full season uh, pro career. Um, compare him to Baez and Bogarts. I think that Baez obviously has better power, but kind of the debate we were talking about with Sano and Buxton, I, I'm going to be inconsistent here. The thing I like about Lindor compared to Baez is, yeah, and they, these guys were debated going back to the draft because they came out of the same draft. Baez has better power, but Lindor has a better sense of the strike zone, smoother swing. I think he's going to hit for more average. And when it comes to defense, Baez is impressed because he's been better defensively than, than scouts expected when he signed. That being said, he's still, it's more of, hey, he can play shortstop. Whereas Lindor is a guy who projects to be an above average defensive shortstop uh, at the big league level. Bogarts, I, I don't think, is going to be a shortstop long term. I think he may play it short in the short term. I, I think the bat, again, I think the bat for him, the bat for Baez are, are pretty similar. Um, but again, the difference being, I think that Lindor is a more well-rounded shortstop if we're talking about, you know, guys who are going to stay at the position long term. Yeah, I'm with that. To me, the the best overall player, I would put Bogarts ahead of all those guys. I think his his offensive ceiling is uh, higher than any of those guys. I think he's going to hit for average. I think he's going to hit for power. Like you said, I think he's going to play. I think he can play shortstop in the short term. But, yeah, long term, at some point, he's going to move to third base. I don't know what the Red Sox are going to do uh, with him and, and Middlebrooks there. I don't, I don't see Iglesias as a factor because I don't think he's going to hit. But I think, I, think, I think that Xander Bogarts could spend at least a few years playing shortstop uh, at, the beginning of his, at the beginning of his major league career. And I think he's going to get on base. I think he's going to be able to hit for power. And he's going to play, you know, first shortstop. It's probably going to be... Uh, you know, fringy, below-average defense, but it's it's going to be passable uh, considering the offense that he's going to give you there, and eventually he's going to move to third base, and, and the offense is going to be plenty there still. Uh, but yeah, for me, after that, I, I would go with Lindor also. You know, I, I think I, I like Baez, I like Correa, but uh, the, the power ceiling is certainly higher with Correa and, and obviously with Baez, but Everything that Lindor does, you know, it's he's probably going to be like a 10 to 15 home run guy a year. But like you said, he can hit. Uh, he knows how to work the count. He's going to give you high on base out of the shortstop position, 10 to 15 home runs a year. And then, by the way, he's going to play gold glove defense for you. So, yeah, for fantasy purposes, that's not so helpful. But for, for adding value to a major league team overall, Lindor, to me, is, is the, the safer bet. And uh, just a better overall, well-rounded player, and then the guy is probably going to give you the most overall value. And, and the thing with him also is the same with Profar. Right? You know, switch hitting ability is obviously a, a standout tool. Last year, he, you know, he was probably a little bit better from his natural side, the right side. This year, he's hitting over 400 from the left side. 
which you know, reality is, is if you said which side's more important as a switch hitter, it's going to be how's your lefty swing because you're going to face a lot more right-handers than you are left-handers, and he is destroying right-handers this year uh, you know, from the left side. So he's a special guy. Uh, other guy that jumped out to me who's a little bit, I mean, he's still a very solid prospect, but maybe a little bit further you know, down the list. Uh, I don't think he was a top 100 guy coming into the year. But Alex Wood for the Braves is a very interesting pitching prospect to me. Left-hander, really good stuff. For a, uh, for a left-hander, up to 95, you know, as a starter. Um, you know, really good change-up. Uh, the breaking ball kind of comes and goes at times. The, the thing that really stands out, though, is, is that he's had a really good start in the year, double-A uh, Mississippi for the Braves. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ugly delivery. I mean, there's no other way to put it. The good news with that is, is there's a lot of deception that comes with that. And the more surprising thing is, is that there's a lot of deception, and he still manages to locate it. And, and he, he, he can locate... Despite a delivery that no pitching coach would probably ever say, "Hey, go out and do this," there's he's got a lot of a lot of stuff kind of uh, you know at the start he has kind of a uh, you know he's got a, almost a stab and a little bit of a dice roll uh, as he brings the ball out, but he does keep the ball hidden as he comes uh, you know comes out in his delivery. Hitters pick the ball up late on a fastball that can again can run up to 95 from the left side. It's a, a pretty good combination. If you said that the uh, the Braves were hit with a slew of injuries and they needed a starting pitcher to come up. You know, I know there's you know we can talk about J.R. Graham. I know we can talk about Sean Gilmartin, who's in Triple A for them and all. It would not surprise me at all if the the guy that the Braves turned to is Alex Wood because even though this is you know really his, his first full season, they, they felt uh, strong enough about him. Uh, you know, they drafted him out of Georgia last year. They felt strong about him that they sent him straight to Double A. He's doing really well at Double A, and I, I think that that he could end up. If the situation presented itself, he could actually end up helping the uh, the big league club at some point later we, this year. Well, he, you know what's interesting is we're talking about guys who stood out and you know who we like and who maybe even been better than we thought, even though we liked them before. Uh, uh, hearing you talk about a guy who's got a lot of deception in his delivery, up to ninety five. I know where you're going with like this. a change up. You know where I'm going with this. I know where you're going. Go ahead. I mean, does he does he remind you a little bit of Tony Singrani? Um, the interesting thing is, is I do think Singrani's better, uh, and the reason I say that is, I mean, that's a very good question to ask because they're very similar repertoires. Um, Singrani has a truly, to me, special ability to generate swings and misses with the fastball. I know that that's the question: is can a guy who really is, I mean, he's a fastball pitcher. You know, a lefty, the changeup at times is pretty good. He hasn't used it that much this year. He calls it a slider, his breaking ball, which to me is now more of a curveball. It's better this year. It's a nice pitch as a second, third pitch that he can kind of drop in there every now and then, get ahead and account. But it is amazing how many strikeouts Singrani generates, both what he did in the minors and now what he's doing in the majors, off of the ability to elevate a fastball. One thing, you know, I try to watch... You know, again, not a scout, but I try to watch a lot of minor league and major league baseball. The thing that stands out in the minors, when we're talking about Wood, when we're talking about Singrani, we're talking about a lot of these guys, talking about uh, DePaula, it's interesting that I do feel like we're in an age where the high fastball is coming back in a little bit more. Um, what Singrani has the ability to do, and you know, I wrote this up, for thankfully, for Baseball America before he made the majors, so I'm not just saying this now that he's done it in the majors. He can elevate just up out of the zone with his fastball 
and that's the pitch. That's really a fastball. You don't generate swings and misses on the fastball down in the zone. You get ground balls, but it's really hard to strike out hitters with a fastball down the zone, especially right at the bottom of the zone where you're either on the edge of the zone or just lower than the zone. You can generate fast strikeouts on the fastball up in the zone where you're really, I'd say with Singrani, most of his fastball strikeouts actually aren't coming on fastballs in the zone. They're coming on fastballs just a tick above the zone because it looks like such an appealing pitch to hitters, but it's also really hard to catch up to. And the other thing with it is Singrani's had a knack. I don't think his command is exceptional by any stretch of the imagination. His control's pretty good. But what he has a knack of is when he misses, he misses in ways that don't generally hurt you. When he misses with that high fastball, he misses up. That You can't do anything with that. It's a ball. But no one's saying, wow, he really he threw that fastball and it was up at the hitter's head. Or, you know, level. You can't do anything with that. You're going you're gonna to watch it go by. Okay, he gets another pitch. He doesn't miss, miss with that fastball where you go, you know, he was trying to get it at the top of the zone and he left it over the middle of the zone. When he tries to work inside two hitters, especially when he's trying, you know, the lefty working inside to a right-handed hitter, which is a lot of times is kind of a tough thing for a lefty. When he misses, he misses, his ball has that little bit of a run, so it misses where it misses the inside corner to the right-hander, the glove side corner from Singrani, and, okay, it's a ball. Again, it's not a pitch you're going to hit. So, to me, what Singrani's special skill is, is there's very few pitches that he unintentionally leaves over the zone. And so with the stuff, which, you know, for a lefty, I mean, he's 92, 90, 91, 92, 93 more often, but if he can get 95, he can even find a 96 in there when he needs to in a key, you know, key situation. That's, that's pretty special stuff. And I know a lot, there's a lot of skepticism of can a guy go out there and do that time after time really pitching off the fastball. I mean, it's 80% fastball. <laughs> right. But I had one scout throw out. It's like, you know what? It kind of to mind, reminded him of Ross Detweiler, who's another guy who kind of has done that somewhat. Um, so there is some belief. Now, the scouts I talked to say, no, I don't think he can do this long term. At some point, he's going to have to make an adjustment. But the thing they said is, is they thought that his stuff was good enough now for him to have success as he makes that adjustment. So there's kind of an expectation that you're going to see that fastball percentage drop slowly as he keeps pitching in the big leagues, but he's having success while he's doing that, which is a much easier way to make that adjustment than if you're getting your brain speed in. Uh, you know, what do you think, Ben? Yeah, I, I don't... It, what's interesting about him and, and about, you know, Wood, too, is maybe maybe probably Wood has a better changeup than uh, Singrani does, but with, with Singrani and, and Wood, the thing about them, we talk about a lot of times you know, lefties with deception, and usually they're like 87, 91 or something like that, and um, they're just kind of relying on moving the ball around the zone. But with, with these two guys, it's it's not like they're working with fringy velocity. These are lefties who are, I mean, Singrani is, like you said, he's sitting 91 to 93. Wood and, and him can both get up to the mid-90s. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, deception and, and maybe the delivery provides some some smoke and mirrors for them, but it's not like they're just throwing it in there at 87 and 88 and and tricking guys like that. They're bringing it pretty good uh, from the left side with with you know really plus or you know just plus velocity. But you know when you grade out the fastball and as a whole, you might even give it a higher grade than that because of the deception that comes along with it. I don't know. He's such an unusual 
uh, guy Singrani is, and and Wood too to some degree, but uh, especially Singrani, just the rate of fastballs <laughs> that he throws, the the way he throws them, the velocity on them, the the ability just to get, like you said, those swings and misses on those pitches, uh, and and the lack of much else in the repertoire. I mean, I could see him maybe learning like a, a cutter at some point to to get another weapon to try to keep guys off balance but you just it's it's just such an unusual prospect i think you know if if he was a right-handed pitcher i'm not sure it would work but being a lefty facing you know mostly right-handed hitters um where that breaking ball is is less takes on less importance if you're a left-handed pitcher um as as a starting pitcher yeah maybe maybe it can work i I don't know to be (laughs) i'm fascinated to find out Uh, i never thought he was going to have this kind of success, you know, especially after what he did in, in college, which was not that great, but everything he's done in, in pro ball has been outstanding. He, he's, I, <laughs> I can't believe how much success he's having and, and the way that, that he's doing it. I know he's always a guy that, that you've believed in, but um, I'm just, he's fascinating to me more than anything. I don't know what to expect. <laughs> Velo wise, both these guys are kind of sitting that Gio Gonzalez, you know, range. So yeah, we are talking about, I mean, this is, the best way to put it is, is what you just heard from the scouting report. The reason neither of these guys were first-round picks was because of a lot of the stuff we're talking about. Like, if Alec, if, if Wood had a, a clean delivery, he's a first-round pick. Because he didn't is why he lasted longer. The, you know, it's a good scouting story for the Braves. With Singrani, kind of the same way. I mean, Singrani also, you have the fact that this is a guy who, it wasn't that long ago, he's coming off his junior year at Rice, and he goes into the coaching staff and says, Hey guys, I understand if you don't want me back for my senior year, you won't hurt my feelings. Do you want me back? If you don't, I understand. I was awful. And he goes from that to dominating in the big leagues in just the span of essentially three years. That's that's amazing. That's incredible. And I do think I, I, I'm with you. I keep wondering. He doesn't need to add the cutter yet, but long term, I do see him probably throwing a cutter at some point because I don't think that his breaking ball. I had a scout describe it to me. It's like because of his arm angle, which is kind of it's a pretty low arm angle, because of how he holds the ball, because of his arm action, it's always going to be hard to throw a really good breaking ball for him, a really good curveball, slider, whatever way you want to call it, because it's tough to stay on top of the ball, which you need to do for that breaking ball. That's where I do think that it may be that a cutter, you know, really ends up being kind of a, that second pitch for him because he doesn't need much else, but if he gets some, you know, just a little something else, it, it, it can kind of make that difference when he's going through the second or third time uh, through, the, uh, you know, through the NL. It, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, along those lines, before we wrap this up, we did want to uh, kind of touch on, you know, we have a little bit of fantasy component to this. I, I, you, you touched on it already, so I guess I'll ask you the question. And I'm not going to ask you, the same way that I've been, I promise you, on this podcast, I'll never ask you, hey, so when do you think that Cuban guy is gonna, you know, gonna come to the U.S. because it's an, <laughs> which My I know favorite. you get all the time, and it's like, it's funny they don't tell you these things beforehand because if they did, they wouldn't be getting out of Cuba. Um, but I'm not gonna ask you tell tell me the date that you think this guy is gonna come up. But with Will Myers, I, I think Will Myers right now, you know, Jim Callis does our fantasy rankings on uh, on Friday. Will Myers is the number one fantasy prospect to watch as far as coming up. I'll, more than I'll ask you, you know, he looks like Will Myers at some point before too long is coming up. When he does, what do you expect to see? 
See, that's that's I, I think he's ready. I think he's ready right now. He could play right field for them every day. But he's always been a, you know, and, and you've written about it a lot, how, you know, early in his career, he had more of a, a patient get-on-base approach. And then he had, you know, the injury that kind of slowed him down that one year. And then last year, he just kind of went nuts <laughs> with the power. And the strikeouts went up. And some of the on-base ability went down, and, and the average, uh, you know, it's it's still high, but you know, long term, you, you can't maintain a high average if you're striking out that often. But, uh, um, but yeah, it's it's. I think he's gonna at some point. I don't know immediately what he's gonna provide, but I, I think long term he's gonna provide some balance of, you know, finding that right balance between getting on base. You know, keeping the 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 swing a little bit shorter uh, once he gets two strikes on him, uh, and then tapping into that pretty huge raw power that he has. Uh, you know, it could come it could come very quickly for him, uh, or it might take him a, a couple of more years to to adjust. I mean, what we thought uh, Mike Mustakis and, and Eric Hosmer were going to start a, <laughs> a lot faster than they did. It could be a similar situation. For Myers, I don't think he's quite as as polished of a hitter as uh, some of the other rookies we've seen uh, come up, be it you know like Trout or, or Harper. He's not at, at that level, but um, at some point, I think he's going to find that right balance between getting on base and, and hitting for power. I agree with you. I've had a couple of scouts say like, no, it's not like he wouldn't be solid if he comes up right now, but don't expect this guy to kind of hit the ground as one of the better hitters you know in the league or anything like that. He's not going to be a guy who comes in and, and starts off trout-like or Harper did last year. And the reason I say that is like some of the things you said, like his approach has still just a couple little uh, things that he needs to tweak, you know, he's kind of still working on. And so with that, it wouldn't be surprising at all if he hits for some good power, but struck out a lot. The average isn't necessarily going to be that high when he, you know, when he hits the big leagues. I, I'm with you. I think I'll put it this way. Will Myers, Oscar Tavares. Will Myers obviously has a much clearer path to the big leagues. If something happened, though, and the Cardinals needed to bring up Oscar Tavares, I think that Tavares is the guy who, if you ask me which of the two of them would be more productive this year, I think it's Tavares. Yeah, I think Tavares is a better prospect, and I think he's more ready right now. The the hit tool with him right now, I mean, look at Myers. He's, you know, it's only been a month. He struck out 30 times in, in 23 games. You know, ultimately, I think he's going to be fine. Uh, I think that's just uh, that's going to come down. I think it's just kind of a one-month uh, blip at, at that high of a strikeout rate. But, um, yeah, he's, he's going to swing and miss more than Tavares is. And, you know, Tavares has you know, maybe not quite as much power as, as Will Myers, but it's it's pretty close. I mean, Tavares has plus raw power. They, you know, depending on what availability comes out, I, I don't think you want Tavares in center field, but fantasy-wise – he might be playing in center field, so if you have a league that counts that, that might be a, another benefit uh, in, in his favor. I guess I know Will Myers has played some center field, too. I, I can't imagine the, He's not gonna do it the right. Rays would want him there. No, but, um, but, yeah, to me, I, I'm with you. I, I'd rather have Tavares if, if there is a place for Tavares, which I, I, they've got to find a place for him uh, <laughs> at some point. I know, I know scouts who said if, if he was on their team, uh, on their big league team, uh, last year, um, or I should say, in that scouts' 
organization last year, uh, they would have called him up because he could have filled in immediately and, and provided production for them at the major league level. So, yeah, I'm with you on Tavares. One thing is, if you're looking at the numbers for Tavares, for Myers, for Profar, and what they're doing at AAA, and you're going, hey, they didn't have great April, they didn't blow, you know, blow things away. I think part of that, just to file away, is that, especially in Will Myers' case, but in all three of their cases, these are guys who went into spring training kind of eyes hopeful for, hey, I'm going to be in the big leagues, and you're not. A lot of times it's tough to kind of, I mean, baseball is a, is a focus and intensity kind of being laser focused every at bat. It's a lot of times tough to make that adjustment back, you know, especially in Will Myers' case. I was minor league player of the year in AAA last year, and here I am back in AAA to start the year. That's tough a lot of times. And a lot of times you see a little bit of AAA fatigue for guys that, you know, you put them up in the big leagues, that kind of goes away right away. And so I would Fatigue and bitterness. Yeah. That's the, that's the cocktail of the average AAA team. Um, AAA, like you said, that, that's a, it's a, oh, it's a level. I, people talk about, oh, well, you can just bring a guy up from AA to the big leagues. Yeah, I think there's some cases where you can do that. But I think AAA baseball gets underrated. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of differences in triple, between AA and AAA. And like you said, <laughs> the, the atmosphere in AAA, not just on the field, but in the clubhouse, which whatever they have to play the games on the field not in the clubhouse but the attitudes that players can carry with them i'm not saying myers is doing this but there's just a lot of guys who get sent down who don't think they belong in triple a and it affects their focus and it affects what they do on the field right i i really a bad month in triple a to start a year is almost one of those things that i kind of almost file away and I, these guys didn't even have bad months but it's something i generally kind of follow away as okay yeah, that there very much can be a letdown from, oh, I was hoping to be in the big leagues. And it takes a little while. And most of the guys, you know, the really good guys, they, they, they battle through that. And then before long, they're going to go back on a tear. But, again, it does not surprise me in April when there's kind of that little bit of let, letdown because, you know, that, that goal's out there during spring training. Hey, am I going to be in the big leagues? Right? Like with Jerks and Profar, they were talking about, you know, he's, we don't know if he should go to the WBC because he's battling for a big league job here now. They couldn't really explain what that big league job was going to be. But, you know, I mean, if you're jerks and profile, you heard that. Hey, there's a chance I could be in the big leagues. So that's, you know, something to kind of keep an eye on as we go, as we now head into May. We're coming to the point now, you know, we've already seen a, a couple of uh, significant call-ups. And, you know, Singrani, we've seen Marcelo Zuna's up, which is, is pretty amazing and pretty surprising. Uh, you know. Yeah, do you think he's, I mean, it's the Marlins. It's, I guess it's another reason or a reason now to watch them other than Jose Fernandez now that Stan's hurt, but yeah, it's the reason what, what to watch him on that? a normal day. I, he's not, I don't think he's ready. I, I don't think there's any way he's ready, you know, because it's interesting. I, I was on the XM, uh, serious XM fantasy show last night. And they asked, well, why'd they bring him, him instead of Yelich? And part of it is, is he's really a right fielder and Yelich is, you know, is not. I and mean, talking about an outfield position, Yelich should not play on a regular basis. Right field would be it. He could play center or left. Um, yeah. but, but the other thing is, is you know, Ozuna came off the DL quicker, so he's had a yeah. couple more at bats, which means he's had a grand total of something like ten games in Double A. Yeah, career. he's on the forty-man roster. It's it's easier, but I just it, <laughs> like you said, ten games for a guy, and he's gotten he's gotten a lot better. It, it's still a long swing. The strikeouts are going to be there, but he's not striking out quite as much as he was earlier in his career. Uh, that's gotten better. Uh, the power is, is a 70 on the 2080 scale, but you, you can't just go. I mean, he's basically going from almost no experience in double A, 
no experience in AAA, which we've just talked about, I think is important for a lot of guys. Uh, I just don't see how he's going to be anything but overmatched. Yeah, he might run into a few mistakes right now, but, uh, you know, I, I do like him long-term a lot, lot more than I did earlier in his career, but for this year, it's just, I could see him hitting like 150 <laughs> in the big leagues this year. He's just, I don't see how he's ready at all. Right. You're, you're talking about a guy who, I mean, the good news is is that we're talking about probably for a couple of weeks because it sounds like Stanton's injury probably should be about a three-week injury. And so when Stanton comes back, you would imagine that he gets to go back and, and go back to the level he should be at, which is double A. The power is immense, and it's a very powerful swing. I mean, there's bat speed there. It's an uppercut swing that's, that's really geared for power. If, you, you know, if you're a subscriber, you can read our What to Expect about Marcelo Zuna, which has a, a, an animated gif of, of his best home run of the year, which left the park in Jacksonville. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really a pretty impressive power. But, again, if you say what, you know, how, he hit four home runs very, in a very short period of time in AA, the, the home run he hit out of the park was a, a hanger of all hanging curveballs. He's not going to see that as much at the big league level. He's he's a guy who is got some holes that can be exploited. Yeah, I, I'm not optimistic that he's really ready to do anything more than right now play a solid defense with a really good arm in, in right and hit a couple of home runs because he runs into some balls, but but also with a lot of strikeouts, not much average. You know, he's not going to help you a whole lot on the base pass. You, you put it all together and. Yeah, I just don't think he's ready, and I think that's pretty much the, the general consensus. It is the Marlins, though. The reality is, is that without Stanton, he still may be one of the two or three best hitters in their lineup, and he's not ready because that's just no. how bad the lineup is. <laughs> I mean, it's an awful lineup. So, But, well, we do thank you for listening to this. Uh, you know, it's not the first edition of the Baseball America podcast or anything like that, but the first edition of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook podcast. We plan on this being a regular uh, download for you every Friday. We're going to shoot for you know a very consistent schedule. And we wanted to remind you to check out DraftDay.com. DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play and set a fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well, that day you win. You can play for free or real money, and they award cold, hard cash nightly to the top-performing players. They've already awarded over $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com also has a new rapid-fire game that takes one minute to play with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of the players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. DraftDay is offering a special offer to Baseball America listeners, so be sure to head to DraftDay.com and enter promo code RADIO, and they'll start you off with a free rapid-fire game. It's free to try, so head to DraftDay.com and use promo code RADIO. For Ben Badler, I'm J.J. Cooper. Thanks for the download. We'll be back again next Friday for another edition of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook Podcast. Thanks, everyone. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.